One of the things that we've been doing on Wednesday nights with our Dawnings group is talking a little bit about how it is that God shapes us. How does he form us? How does he mold us into the kind of person that he has created us to be and intends us to be? Well, I want to invite you to take your Bible this morning, and we're going to turn to Psalm 66. We find here a hymn of thanksgiving and praise to God that names some of the ways that God has formed and shaped the psalmist. It begins with kind of a community call, almost a universal call, to praise God and to thank him for his goodness and the ways that he has shaped and formed them. And then it ends with an individual call to praise and to thank God. Uh, you'll notice in the first four verses of Psalm 66 that God is celebrated because he has done many awesome deeds. He is a God of great power. And then we pick up the hymn in verse 5 of Psalm 66. Come and see. Come and see what God has done. How awesome his works in man's behalf. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Undoubtedly, that's a reference to one and or both events in Israel's history uh, coming out of the land of Egypt after 400 years of bondage and slavery, and they go across that Red Sea on dry land. And or we find that in Exodus 14, and or it could be a reference in Joshua 3 to the people of Israel moving into the promised land and they went across the river Jordan on dry land. They passed through the waters on foot, the psalmist says. So come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. And then the psalmist gets into that portion where he acknowledges that God has shaped and formed the people of Israel. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. And then in verses 13 through 15, the psalmist writes of fulfilling a vow to God by offering a sacrifice to him. And then in verse 16, come and listen, all you who fear God, let me tell you what he has done for me. Now we're getting moving from a community to an individual word here. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. So praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Well, if I were to ask you this morning to turn to a neighbor and to share with that person what it is or who it has been who has shaped and molded and formed you the most as a person, even as a Christian person, my guess is we would all share some predictable responses. As Beth Thompson shared with the children this morning, I think they probably could be summarized around the area of people and places and practices. It would be some people, wouldn't it, that you would name. It might be a school teacher. It might be a Sunday school teacher, some other church leader. It would be a member of your family. It would be a friend. It would be some other mentor in your life who has inspired you to be all that God created you to be and intended you to be. My grandfather, who died in 1978, had no idea how he was shaping and molding and forming his grandson into the father and the husband and the person and the pastor that I have become. He has had no idea what he was doing in shaping a young grandson. It's people who shape us and form us. It's also places. It's those places, it's those events, it's those experiences that shape and form us into the kind of people that God has created and intended us to be. And as Christian people, we can name a lot of things. Summer camps, mission trips, weekly gatherings like we're doing right now for worship, Bible study, building community. I bet you would name some educational experiences you've had that have shaped you, informed you into who you are today. I bet you would name some of your work experiences that have all shaped and formed you into who you are. You know those people who started the North Carolina Baptist Assembly at Caswell at Southport below Wilmington? Those people who started Caraway Conference Center in Asheboro? Those people who shaped and formed Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, they have no idea the shaping and the molding and the forming they were doing in my life and in countless others into making me who I am today. So it's not just people, it's just not places, it's practices. Those things you do individually, those things we do collectively in the life of our church that shape us and form us into the kind of people God made us and intended us to be. Those things that we do individually at home, devotions. Those things that we do together as God's people, worship. Things like spirituality retreats. Things like Bible studies. Those times of silence and solitude, alone time you have with God. Those moments when we practice generous giving. Those times when we share our faith. Things like journaling. Those events like having holy conversation with each other. All of that goes into shaping and molding us into the person that God intended us to be. People, places, and practices. But the psalmist names one thing that molded and shaped him and the people of Israel and formed them into the people that God intended them to be. And I'm kind of wondering if this particular thing would be on your list. It's called pain. Verse 
P-A-I-N, pain and suffering. You see, when you read the Psalms here in verse 5, the psalmist invites the people to come and see what God has done. And as I've already mentioned, in an, in an allusion to the Exodus event of crossing the Red Sea, possibly to an allusion of crossing over into the Promised Land over the dry Jordan River, the psalmist looks to the past and he names all of those events in Israel's history that have been formative and has shaped them, and God has used those events to deliver them and make them who they are. Then we get down to verse 9. And the psalmist says that God has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. But then in verses 10 through 12, some unknown crisis, some unknown difficulty, some unknown place of suffering and pain has occurred. And listen again to what the psalmist says. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men, boy, this sounds painful, ride over our heads. It's pretty painful, isn't it? We went through fire and water, but what did God do? It says, but you brought us to a place of abundance. You know, I think a lot of us may well undervalue the role that pain and suffering plays in shaping us and molding us and forming us into the people that God intends for us to be. Now, I will be clear. I want you to hear this very clearly this morning. I don't think God pushes a button or snaps his finger to bring suffering and pain into our lives any more than you would snap your finger or push a button to bring suffering and pain and difficulty into someone you love. I don't think that's the kind of God we're dealing with. But you know, we all are aware that life happens. Life happens. Sometimes people make choices in their lives. Those choices are not good choices. And there are consequences to those choices. Sometimes natural events happen, like hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, and other tragedies and disasters. And they happen and they occur. And I think that we can affirm from a holistic reading of Scripture that they are not God's will. He doesn't, you know, God's will is God's best for us. And God does not intend for them to happen. But you know, I think we can join the Apostle Paul in what he wrote in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for good for those who love him. For those who are called according to his purposes. The scripture doesn't say, for we know that all things are good. It says that we know that in all things God works for good. For those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. You remember that story in Genesis? Remember Joseph? The coat of many colors? His jealous brothers? Selling him off to the Midianite traders who took him down to Egypt? 
Jacob, his father, thinks he's dead. Some wild animal has torn him apart. The brothers take the coat, smear it with uh, the blood of an of a animal that they've killed, and they hold it out on a stick to old Jacob, and they say, look what we found. Translated to Jacob, your son's dead. And years and years and years and years and years later, through suffering and pain and being imprisoned, Joseph rises to second in command to the Pharaoh. And there's a seven-year famine. And it's because Joseph is in the position that he's in that God is able to save the people of Israel and to save specifically Joseph's family. And when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, obviously they're a little anxious about what his reaction might be to them. Is he going to get retribution? Does he want revenge? Is he going to get us good? And Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, you may be going through a hard time right now. You might be going through a time of pain and suffering. You may be going through some of those moments where your health is not what you want it to be. You may be going through some of those moments in your life right now where family is not at its best place. A marriage, relationship with children, relationship with parents, brothers, sisters, extended family. You may be going through a time right now where you're not happy with your job. You're just not happy. You don't feel fulfilled. You don't feel like it's the right place or spot for you. You may be going through a moment where school isn't clicking. I mean, we're at fall break here at East Carolina, and already you've arrived at fall break, and it isn't good this semester. You're at a moment in your life where the finances do not look hopeful. You're at a place in your life where you've had the death of a loved one in the past or right now, and there's a lot of grief and pain and sadness. And you're wondering what good can come of it. How does Romans 8, 28 fit into my life? How does Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you meant it for, to harm me, but God meant it for good? How does that, how does that fit in with me right now? And you know, our church has been through a difficult season these last two years. We've had a multitude of challenging issues to address that affect the present and the future of our church. But I've got to tell you, in the last two years, I think that I have prayed more deeply I have read scripture more seriously and more comprehensively. I have relied on the love of my family and of some special spiritual friends. I have probably journaled more in telling God about my joys and my sorrows. 
And what I want to tell you this morning is that out of those times of pain and grief and deep sadness, I am more convinced than ever that God is still on his throne and I am convinced that he deserves our praise and our allegiance and our trust and our confidence. So we need to acknowledge this morning, friends, individually and as a church, that God's plan is a lot better than ours. It really is. And if we're willing to live into that plan, whatever it may be, I want to remind you this morning from the pages of the Bible and from the pages of your own life that God can take the circumstances of pain and sadness and grief that precede and include and follow that plan. He can use that pain to shape us and to mold us and to form us into the kind of people and the kind of church that God intends for us to be. On the first Wednesday night when we had our dawnings meeting with our 21 participants, at the end of that meeting, I presented every one of those 21 participants with a green apple. A green apple. And I reminded them of the words of Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton was a monk who lived at the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky for many years. He was a prolific writer. And one time, Thomas Merton asked the question, how does an apple ripen? And he answered that question. He says it ripens by setting it in the sun. You know, you can't rush God's plan for your life. You can't rush the good that God intends to bring even out of pain in your life. And you can't rush God's plan for your church. You've got to be patient. You've got to wait for that plan to ripen in the light of Christ. And are we ever impatient people? Present company included. I don't want it to happen tomorrow. I want it to happen yesterday. But let me tell you something. When God's plan ripens and when it materializes, then we'll be able to join with the words of the psalmist in Psalm 66. We'll be able to offer these words of praise. He has preserved our lives and he has kept our feet from slipping. You have brought us, says the psalmist, to a place of abundance. And then we'll hear the words with even deeper clarity from Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And by the way, that you in Hebrew is plural. Jeremiah is talking to a people who are in exile in Babylonia. I know the plans I have for you, people of Israel. And God would say to us at Oakmont today, I know the plans I have for you, Oakmont Church family. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Thanks be to God.